When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, folks, this is the Jim Brockmeyer Podcast. I'm your host, former Major League Baseball announcer, and the man who just lost four grand gambling on the National Spelling Bee. Why did I do that? I am Jim Brockmeyer. I'm joined yet again by my co-host and producer, Sheena Dad. Hey, Sheena. Hey, Brockmeyer. How's it going? Now, besides losing a lot of money, something really stupid, I'm doing pretty good, considering I'm pretty hungover. And the smell that I've been looking for for the last half hour, you know what it turned out to be? Was it you? Yeah, it was me. It was myself. But actually, though, despite all that, I'm feeling quite grateful today. Oh, have you been watching Brene Brown videos again? No, I have not. And and I wouldn't be ashamed if, if that's why I was grateful. No, I'm grateful that I am not calling baseball games right now. Brockmeyer, what? I, you want to be a major league announcer again. That's literally all you talk about. Yeah, but did you see what happened last week to John Sterling, the, the Yankees broadcaster? I actually did not. Well, you know, that they're not sending broadcasters casting teams on road games in order to save money. It might still be COVID-related. I don't know. but Yeah, that I heard about. Okay, so the TV people were showing a replay of Aaron Judge's home run from earlier in the game, and Sterling didn't realize that. He thought it was happening in real time, so he called it. He called the replay. I oh, mean, boy. Yeah, that's, that's the baseball announcer's worst nightmare. But that is John Sterling for you. Put a video in front of that guy. He is going to announce it. That's why I refuse to go see movies with him anymore. Anymore. We got kicked out of the sixth sense because Sterling yelled, He's been dead the whole time. The Yankees win. The guy's dead. The man's a ghost. He's dead. It's just, get a hold of yourself, Sterling. That was a pretty good impression, though, Brackmeyer. Thanks a lot. You know, I couldn't say for sure, though, that I would not have done the exact same mistake in his situation. See, this is one of the many problems with not calling games in person. Baseball announcers, we need to use all of our physical senses to accurately call a game. What we see on the field. Uh, how does the weather feel? What does Luke Voigt smell like? But, and, and his top half smells different from his bottom half. You want to note that. These are important facts that make the listener feel like they're there. You don't you don't get the same experience over a video. It's like the difference between watching pornography and actually having a sexy stepmom. It's a shallow, two-dimensional recreation of a very beautiful experience. That's actually a totally accurate comparison. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, let's get into today's show. Boy, we got a good one. Got a big famous guest today, so I'm told. Uh, well, you know, why don't you tell our guest, uh, Ben Stiller, what you told me. Ben Stiller is one of the biggest stars on the planet. Which I was just astounded by. Ben, is that true? Are you are you one of the biggest uh, stars on the planet? Uh, it depends what planet. I'm pretty sure we're talking about Earth. No, I don't. I, I don't. I don't think that's correct information. If you go far enough down on the list, I'm sure you're there. I mean, we're all there, right? Every human being is somewhere on that list. I feel like you get you know points for just hanging around for a while. So I feel like I've been around for a while, just like here, just literally existing. You know, for like going on 30 plus years. So maybe that that counts for something. I'm sure it does. I mean, that's what I tell myself. Well, who would you say who would you say is directly above you and below you on the list of of, of celebrities? Who would you put just above you and just below you? I think Carrot Top would be somewhere Uh, above or below, uh, just right nearby, right hovering close by. I don't get in. You know, I don't I don't get into to ranking myself in terms of the, the sort of strata of stars. See, I put myself somewhere between uh, Marv Albert and the Snapper Lady. That's right. Okay. Yeah. I was quite literally uh, physically between them during a threesome back in 08, but that's neither here nor there. You are a diehard New York Knicks fan. Mm. Uh, so quick question. Why the hell is that? Here's my theory. Is it because you, as, like the Knicks, you also have a huge fan base that has grown uh, very accustomed to disappointment? Yeah, there's some sort of a sympathetic uh, feeling there of uh, not, not never quite giving people what they what they want I mean I think for me you know it's the it's sort of like social imprinting and I, I grew up with it uh, at a very young age you know the way you're just exposed to something at a young age when you're very impressionable 
and uh, that was uh, where my you know my dad took me to games. And you know, when I was younger, uh, I was around at a very young age for those championship, some of the championship, the 1973 championship. You know? Yeah, the boy, the way you describe the Knicks, so sentimental like that's the way I feel about whippets and prostitutes, hmm. that kind of fond memory. And I, I think it's also in the same way you sort of uh, idealize the memory in your mind. For me, it's the Knicks, for you, whippets and prostitutes, but there's this idealized memory about, oh, that's what it was like when they were... The nostalgia. It's the, yeah, exactly. the nostalgia of it. Yeah, you're right, but like so much of our past, I tend to romanticize it, because the whippets and prostitutes, they were they were not the picnic that I think of it as. But you only see the positives when you're looking in the rearview mirror. It's true. But it is rough being a Knicks fan. I mean, back in the 90s, they had some real solid winners, but... Uh, <laughs> you know something? I'm looking down at this joke and it, it's going, even for me, it's going too far out of my way to circle back just to insult you. I, I'll tell you, here, here was the joke I was going to go with, Ben. So back in the 90s, they had some real solid winners. But ever since, it feels like they just keep meeting the Fockers. There you go. Um, I'm fine for you to go there. <laughs> all right. Well, I went there. OK, so now, but all th- back to being serious, you're being a good sport. All things considered, you had to be pretty happy with this, how the past season went for the Knicks. I mean, they exceeded everybody's expectations. As a fan, do you think the future looks bright for the Knicks or was this just an aberration, just a typical Knicksian way of getting fans' hopes up before people promptly crush them again? Well, I'll say with the Knicks, you never know, honestly, because they do have that way of kind of always sort of leading you down a path where you think there might be hope and then it, it's, it always seems to go the worst possible way. You know, all of a sudden they're, they're winning, 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 they're on a winning streak and then they're on a huge losing streak. And it just seems like over the years, that's been the, the pattern. So, you know, this year in terms of highs and lows was an extended high for us, which I think is, you know, I, I can't not enjoy that or feel good about that. Um, and I think there is hope, you know, the playoffs, Getting into the first round obviously was very exciting, and then it was very, very tough because you know we, then we start to feel like the Knicks again. Um, but I think that's part of the sort of the learning curve of what's going on now, and I feel like there is real hope for the future. Uh, this off season will determine a lot of you know how, how what what moves uh, they make and uh, how they build on on what they started. I think they have some great. Uh, pieces and I'm you know I think there was a chemistry there in that team I, you know unfortunately I think in the past I've seen the Knicks have really tended to break up the chemistry that exists you know to, to, to sort of just like break something down that was working and I'm sure these people who run the team know probably more than I do uh, I would hope I'm not so sure of that <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it must be hard, though, when you get hopeful about the Knicks. Do you just feel like, you know, you're watching, you know, Charlie Brown run up on the football with Lucy or do, or do you actually have hope? Well, when you're a true fan of a team, you always have hope because you can't help it. You're a fan of the team. And I never, you know, I've been a I was a Yankee fan as a kid back in you know the late 70s, which was a great time to be a Yankee fan. And then I sort of dropped off. I think I just lost an emotional connection with the team. But the Knicks, for some reason, and I have to be honest, when I lived in Los Angeles for about 20 years in the 90s, and I wasn't that connected with the team, I never went to the Lakers. I was never, ever going to become a Lakers fan. But I didn't really stay in touch with the Knicks, really on an emotional level. And when I moved back to New York about 11 or 12 years ago, I really reconnected. But I think that you just don't have any choice. You're just you're with your team. That means the pain is much greater, but the highs are much higher. And so I have no choice but to hope that it's going to work out. You mentioned uh, that first round of the playoffs. You, you guys had the, the bad fortune of running into to the Atlanta Hawks and Trey Young. My goodness, what a series he had. What a run he had. So here's my big question, though. Whose haircut would you say is more embarrassing? Cameron Diaz's and the semen hair scene from Something About Mary or Trey Young? Who's got a stupider head of hair, would you say? I'm no one to speak because I am incredibly challenged in that way. I'm not going to speak to Trey's hair style choice. You know, he's he's an incredibly talented young man. Uh, my, my feeling on that chant was... This was a sort of this spontaneous uh, explosion of frustration of 15,000 fans all of a sudden in an arena for the first time in whatever it is, a year and a half, people out of their houses. It was almost like it felt aberrant in a way. It was almost like people were just sort of freaking out. Definitely, you know, it happened so quickly, like so quickly. I mean, 
you know, it wasn't like four games in or it was like on the, during the, you know, the first game. Well, that's true about the fuck Trey Young chant. But do you know that with the with the Trey is balding chant, this is true. They actually distributed the garden, distributed flyers saying, hey, everybody, make fun of Trey's bald head. They really did do that. They suggested to folks that they chant Trey is balding. Well, that's awful. That's not that's not fair at all. And he's so talented and he drives you so crazy that it takes people to a place of like, what can I you know, what can I say? That's that's it's just, you know, this this frustration. But I mean, that's really just tribute to how much he drove Knicks fans crazy. And I had to look inward and say to myself, why am I feeling these feelings? towards this young man who's doing nothing but serving his team. I mean, look, he did the little like, ooh, it's, you know, the chili thing where he warmed himself. That really, that really got me. He also, uh, he likes to point where he hits the three point shot from. That's pretty annoying too. Yeah. I mean, he's allowed to do that stuff because he delivered. Um, but I think he enjoyed doing that to, to garden fans. And uh, what I did think after the first time when I heard the fuck Trey and young chant was, and then it, it did make sense to me why he would then might start taunting the fans back. If you had 15,000 people saying that to you. I was in a celebrity softball game in uh, Yankee Stadium about 20 years ago. And I don't know how I ended up there, but I ended up in right field. And I got, they started booing me from the right field bleachers. Um, wow. Really? For nothing. I didn't do anything. Not for your for your play on the field? No, I, th- I just came out there and they started booing. And then, I, and then, of course, that affected my game, my incredibly uh, sure, high-level softball skills in right field. And uh, it felt awful like, to have people. Have you ever been booed? Well, I, I don't know that I have. It's the worst <laughs> feeling to have. People you know booed. what? I know that I have because I've heard it uh, on the recording of the games. But I, I'm almost always so blackout drunk that I don't actually recall it. Well, that's probably a, a gift then, because I mean, it, it, it does really affect you. And I've spent the whole softball game trying to figure out why they were booing me. Like I started going through my career. I started going through even like just what, what I'd done in the game previously, which was not much. But uh, so I, I could, you know, understand Trey really wanting to stick it to Knicks fans. But that's horrible. That, you walk out on a ball field, they start to boo you immediately. You're a big celebrity, or at least according to uh, Sheena, you are. And um, and they'd be like, you know, like an athlete making a cameo in one of your movies. Like, we're going to go. I'm going to ask you about Brett Favre a little bit, but sure. and they're just getting booed immediately by everybody on set or in the in It's the also set. one of those things where there's no real. I asked somebody about it and they said, oh, they always boo anybody who's in right field. At Yankee Stadium. That can't be true. That guy's lying to you. That's like somebody saying, "Boy, our numbers on this film are terrible." Oh no! Every that's how every every crowd reacts uh, to every film is they give it a terrible score. And I also felt like I'm a New Yorker too, and I felt like God, this is like it felt like a sense of like betrayal or something. But ultimately, I never played another celebrity softball game again. Well, let's talk about your career now, because maybe maybe they booed you based on that. Maybe they didn't. Sheena sent me your your stats. I sent him your IMDb page. Whatever you you. Hollywood types call it. You know what I noticed uh, what jumped off the page to me the last time that the said Knicks were in the conference finals was the same year that you were in a music video for the band Limp Biscuit. So now what's it like knowing that you and your favorite team are both equally, equally far away from your peak? How does that feel? <laughs> I do look at that as a, a peak moment, actually, because I, I think we did that Limp Biscuit video. It was when we were shooting Zoolander. We actually on the set of Zoolander, and we did it. I think at a lunch hour during. And there is a timepiece. I look at it as a timepiece and a, and a memory of a time when things were. Uh, yeah, that was uh, of yeah, a time. Listen, I have a theory about that music video appearance. I think it might have actually cursed the Knicks. She, Virginia has a name for that. What would you, what'd you call that again? The Fred Durst curse. The Fred Durst curse. You believe that might be some truth to the Fred Durst curse, uh, Ben? Because they boy, uh, bad after that. You're saying that uh, that my appearance in the video somehow affected the Knicks' fortunes in the playoffs? Well, when you say it out loud like that, it does sound insane and stupid. But th- listen, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. Because that time in history was messy for everybody. Rap rock is something we all acknowledge that we did not do enough to prevent in the early 2000s, like the Iraq war. I agree. I take full responsibility for my part in that. Yeah, some are just more complicit than others. Like you, you're kind of the Ari Fleischer of rap rock. Oh, my God. Don't say that. 
that's the, that, that hurts. Well, unlike you, Ben, I don't bury my head in the sand. I speak the truth about things. Anyway, looking at this said IMDb, you actually made a sports movie, Ben. Dodgeball. Mm, yes. I'm going to guess that growing up, the game of dodgeball was not that much fun for you. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't seem like you were the popular athletic kid. You seem more like the frightened nerd uh, curled up in the corner trying to avoid headshots. Was that a, were your experience and did that lead you to this film? Did it lead to your whole career as an actor, that experience? You know, I, I don't know if I was the frightened nerd. I was inside, I was the frightened nerd. On the outside, I was just sort of the nerd. I think the frightened part was I tried to hide it somehow. I was sort of like a middle ground person where I wasn't like totally a nerd, but I definitely wasn't popular. And I was a little bit awkward. I had bad skin. I think my frustration and anger would come out in dodgeball games. And probably I would go in with this sort of uh, chip on my shoulder. I think being bullied in that chip is a necessary part of anybody's success. And I did. we did have these co-ed dodgeball games when I was in fourth grade, fifth grade. I remember that being a very dicey thing because you were playing with girls and boys and everybody was, you know, these kids were all like hormonally just bursting out at the seams and uh, it, definitely a very uh, aggressive sport. I think I uh, was on the receiving end and was also probably too aggressive too as a dodgeball player as a kid. Yeah, we had the co-ed uh, dodgeball too. I'll tell you something, it was traumatic, but it, it spurred me on. If I didn't have, you know, a little Timmy Missioner pulling down my gym shorts in seventh grade PE, exposing my bare testicles to the entire class, boys and girls, I don't know mm -hmm. if I'd have developed the drive to become the man I am today. I mean, every success I have, Ben, is me saying, hey, look at me now, world. I got pubes. I got strong, talented pubes now. Veritable tumbleweed of proficiency. Do you see your pubes in a similar way? Something to kind of say fuck you to the world with? Like, uh, look at my pubes. I'm Ben Stiller. Look at me. My bush. I'm going to keep saying words that are synonyms for pubes. I think what I was saying in my own way was sort of getting at what you're getting at, too, which is we were all going through these changes. And that at the time you're playing dodgeball as a kid is when you're sort of getting in touch with uh, all of these sort of awkward, you know, changes that are happening, uh, both, you know, physiologically and also, you know, uh, just in your life as a kid. I mean, it's also the 70s where things were like a little bit more, I think, out there, you know, uh, and so there was a little less sort of uh, parental guidance. That's put very politely. We were basically thrown to the wolves. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, uh, but I did, you know, I did go through puberty. Is that, is that, is that what you were asking about? Yes, uh, that, was, that, that was my question. Did you go through puberty? And the answer is yes. But, you know, a nerd, not nerd. I, it seems like it's very trendy to be a nerd in Hollywood these days, but you were the go-to nerd actor for years. I mean, when, I mean, when a big shot movie producer said, I need a dork that I can film masturbating in a bathroom, the name on everybody's lips was Ben Stiller. But now it seems like he got some new competition every year. You got your Steve Carell and your Jason Biggs and that McLovin character. Do you sometimes feel resentful when these new nerds encroach on your territory? I'm sorry, is it 2008? I'm trying to, what, what, what year are we doing this podcast? All right, I, who's a modern nerd? I think what your, your premise is totally valid. I just feel like that was a time uh, in, in movies when that was happening and that's what I was doing is, you know, for sure. <laughs> Maybe that speaks to the truth. Maybe nerdism has kind of gone out of vogue. Uh, maybe that's why I had no reason to see, but I think about it in sports terms, like old NBA players, you know, they'll say stuff like, Oh, the stars of today wouldn't have made it back when I played. Is there a part of you that thinks, ah, sure, easy to be a nerd now, but these modern dweebs, they could not hold my jockstrap or whatever the nerd equivalent of a jockstrap is. They couldn't hold my freshly soiled, scaredy cat underpants. I don't. I don't think that. Um, I think that uh, it was, like I said, you know, a time when there was a lot of that genre of movie happening. Too. I don't think it's, it's kind of outdated now, though, isn't it? A little bit? It is a little bit. But in my book... Just so you know, no one is less cool than you. Okay, you are the you're the Michael Jordan of nerds. You know, I think that uh, the nerd thing, you know, you have to really go back to like with who were the sort of like first nerds in movies, really. Um, like you had the cast of Revenge of the Nerds. You had your the Carradine guy and and Curtis right? Armstrong and him. Yes, Curtis Armstrong was amazing. 
at doing that. But if you bump into any of those guys, well, not the ones from yesteryear, yeah. but uh, let's uh, Jason Schwartzman, he's not very modern either. But, <laughs> but yeah, well, any of these guys, any of these, because MJ, Michael Jordan would trash talk. You ever trash talk these other guys when you run into them? Like you see Schwartzman or Biggs or whoever, and you, you just throw them against the wall and say something like, you think you're a nerd? You little hipster toothpick. I, I didn't, I didn't even know what a woman looked like naked until I was 29. And even now I'm still a little unclear on some of those specifics. You ever say something like that? No, I mean, there'd be like sort of like, I think that sort of mutual sort of acknowledgement that we were sort of, you know, doing similar kinds of roles. But, you know, I think everybody kind of looks really at their own career and kind of doesn't think, you know, if you're comparing yourself to other nerds, then you're really in trouble. I guess that would be a very sad moment in your life. Yeah, because then you're getting into nerd envy and sort of who's more of a more successful nerd. I'm just sad thinking about that concept. Simon Helberg. He, he's another nerd character. Simon Helberg? Who is that? Sheena. I don't know. Simon Helberg. You know that guy? He's the guy from the Big Bang Theory. Oh, yeah. I don't oh. Know. He's like the uber nerd. Oh, all right. Yes, Big Bang Theory. That's a great example. Those guys are the most successful and richest nerds in show business. Nerd as a concept is a little bit outdated now, right? It's just like the idea of nerd was people make fun of me for X, Y, Z criteria. And now that criteria has shifted so much that it's like, this is the situation I'm in that sucks. Yeah. Okay. Right. I see. So the situation... It's more of a situation. Right, because then you get out of the, this is stereotypically, like glasses used to be the sign of a nerd. And now it's, glasses are super cool. So you can't be like, oh, well, this is a nerd. Like if you were to pick out a nerd in a, in a more modern something, um, you wouldn't be like, yes, because he has glasses and he's a little bit effeminate, this is why he's a nerd. Because those things are no longer nerdy. Those things are actually very much, the op- they're cool now. Yeah, there are also different uh, categorizations of, I think, you know, of that ideal of what that, you know, image of a person is. Like there's, like when you say nerd, I won't really take that so personally. If you'd said nebbish, that would have been affected me more. That I need to Google. That's one of them Yiddish uh, expressions. Well, it has, it has a vaguely anti-Semitic sort of bent. Doesn't that translate kind of like a nothing, like a zero, like a... But I'd say, like, on the scale of nerdiness, there'd be, like, nebbish, then nerd, and then every man. And I feel like every man was sort of, you know, probably more what I, I had aspired to. Yeah. I, I love them, uh, them Yiddish words. They're, they're so descriptive. Like, where would you put fakakta on that scale? Fakakta means a little crazy. That's right. That would be, I mean, that's a Yiddish word. And do you, are you, do you have any, what's your background? in terms of your heritage i'm baptist but i was actually baptized in uh, in whiskey and alcohol not just metaphorically i mean literally my, my 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 dad was part of a church where they would they would dip you in booze they dipped you in booze oh yeah like from that that's how i was baptized they, they submerged me in rye whiskey sazerac okay. rye whiskey wow Wow. Well, I guess it's also a cleansing thing, too, right? Because the alcohol would probably kill any bacteria on the baby. It doesn't kill you. Yeah, you're very healthy afterwards. Um, so so no, no, no uh, Jewish relatives in your background? None that I know of. I just enjoy, I'm a linguist. I enjoy the spoken word. Well, it's fun to listen to you, I have to say, speaking Yiddish words. Yeah, like, uh, here's one I like, tuchus. That means that's your behind, right? That's your, that's uh-huh. your... There's a lot of sound I noticed. A cactus. Let's work that into the baseball. That one is well hit out to right center field and call me a cactus optimist because the Yankees are going to win this game. Here's a hypothetical, Ben. If you had a choice between being a big time movie star, like apparently you are, according to Sheena, or an athlete of your equivalent success level, which would you choose? Like, would you prefer to be the Ben Stiller of professional sports, say? Well, any athlete has a very short lifespan in terms of what their the years are that they can play, right? At that level they need to play at. So I guess, you know, I, I, at least in show business, you have a chance to kind of continually sort of explore and reinvent and hopefully, uh, you know, pursue your creative ambition. So I think in that way, I mean, but I don't know how you would, what your comparison is exactly when you say, yeah, who would you, well, who would you think? Like, who would that be in real life? The Ben's like, who, who'd be the Ben star of the NBA, you suppose? Well, height wise, I mean, (laughs) 
That'd be Spud Webb, wouldn't it? Wouldn't Spud Webb's Muggsy Bogues. I'm going back in time now to the uh, other five, seven, and shorter. No, I'd say Ben Simmons because you're really? undeniable. Yeah, because you're undeniably successful, and that fact just constantly perplexes me. <laughs> I take that as a compliment. I think you're going to say I have no three-point shot. <laughs> you don't have that either. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. You probably have a better one than Ben Simmons in actuality. You know, he's got to work on his three-point shot, but he's uh, – I feel tough. You know, it's tough for those guys because there's so much expected of them. That's always the thing, the expectation level. So, you know, that that's how – if you're expecting – like, if you're comparing – like, oh, I should be this. I think Ben Simmons probably, like, just plays his own game. He doesn't worry about the people who say he doesn't have a great shot. Do you think it's more difficult to be a famous actor or a famous athlete? Which do you think is actually tougher? I mean, I think being an athlete uh, is tougher in that people are constantly criticizing you based on actual numbers and stats and performance while being an actor is much more about hey i think that guy's good or i don't like that guy yeah it's just your reps who criticize you about the numbers of your latest film and tv show but you don't get booed athletes get booed which we know ben was very traumatized by <laughs> no i would definitely i mean i think it's so much more pressure being an athlete and uh you know the glory of it is great too i, I would imagine you know, the feeling of uh, sinking a game winner at Madison Square Garden probably is better than any feeling, you know, an actor would ever have uh, performing on Broadway or who knows, you know, in terms of that moment of glory. I agree, but I, I've seen a lot of it, but I'd rather be a famous actor just because it seems so damn easy. I mean, mm -hmm. you just pretend to be some ridiculous character for, oh, I don't know roughly an hour every other week and the cast just comes rolling in or, or you just do stupid ass cartoony voices for maybe two hours a week. That I agree with you. That's not, I don't consider that real, you know, acting. That's called voice work. I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. I think anybody who does that is an idiot. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. That, that too, I, I've always, you know, I love cartoons, but you know, people who do cartoon voices are, you know, there's Mel Blanc and then who else, right? And a bunch of, bunch of nerds, really. Annoying nerds. That's probably what I should have said. I think also actors who do characters are sort of like, you know, that's the other thing. Actors who do characters are, you know, or like goofy characters or that's a whole other world than like, say, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis or... Uh, I don't know, Ben Mendelsohn. Actors who have dignity versus guys who just kind of caper around and make silly noises and voices. And right. Like do goofy voices or do funny sort of, you know, like sketch, you know, like, oh, put on a wig and, the, you know, thing and do whatever it is, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, anyone who does that, they, they're, they're the ones who should be booed in right field at Yankee Stadium. But yeah, speaking of sports and actors, as I mentioned before, I always want to ask this, something about Mary. You got to work with Brett Favre. Mm -hmm. What was that experience like? How did that go? Him, you know, here's an athlete crossing over into 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 acting. How, how, how was it? I don't have that much. I have a little, sort of a memory of working on the set with Brett. I think he was nice. And I think he came in and sort of a new experience for him. I didn't know how to pronounce his name at the time. Did they actually work that into the movie? Yeah, that's like the iconic line. Yeah, that was because I couldn't quite figure out how to pronounce his name. But I liked him at the time. I think, you know, it was fun. I think we, you know, tossed the football a little bit, you know, at that moment. Have you considered a sequel to that movie where Mary finds out that her ex-boyfriend, Brett Favre, keeps sending uh, women unrequested pictures of his penis? Thought about that? She really dodged a bullet ending up with your character as opposed to the pro-Trump guy with the with the weird overexposed peeny. Yeah, I can't say that uh, I've been tracking Brett's post-Mary career that closely. I just officially pitched, didn't I? Is that what you guys call it? That's a pitch, right. A pitch for a sequel, sure. Yeah. And that's what you'd probably call an elevator pitch. Because it was fast? Yes. It's like, it has to be like fast enough you could do it if you ran into an executive in an elevator. Actually, I've done escalator pitches. Escalator pitches are a little bit longer. Um, but um, still have to be concise. I'm good going down on the escalator, but not 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 going up. Now, let me, I want to go back to insulting you about the Knicks. When you attend Nick games, Ben, you get to sit courtside, mm -hmm. and boy, that seems to me like the best part of being a celebrity. Other than, of course, all the all the blowjobs you guys get. You know, can I say I imagine that you guys are in a constant state of getting a blowjob. In fact, when you're courtside, it's probably the only time you are not getting a blowjob because your lower half is just to expose. Is that right? Is that the only time you're not getting a blowjob, Ben Well, definitely with the new mask mandates at the garden, it's changed things a lot. 
It's made it much more complicated. It's weird because at the, at the last playoff game, they had everybody in the garden was not wearing a mask except for the people who were courtside. So that definitely affected blowjobs, et cetera. But I, that never has been anything that I've ever really, you know, been drawn to in the terms of like the celebrity perks, because I, I don't find that to be a true thing, what you're saying. I don't I don't go with the premise of your the assumption. I mean, I, I would say this. There are sort of uh, metaphorical blowjobs happening in show business all the time. Yeah, like the whack-offs, the, the false praise, and the, oh, you're so wonderful. Constantly. You've gotten so much of that, see, that your soul needed it to be balanced out by getting booed in right field in Yankee Stadium. Exactly, exactly. Karmic, uh, you know, karmic uh, balance there. But um, I want you to confirm something for me or deny it. I heard that when Jack Nicholson sat courtside for Laker games, I heard that the blowjobs did not stop for him, that actually they'd hide it. Jack's seat at the Staples Center is actually a complicated system of mirrors and a trapdoor and mannequin legs. So he, he can you confirm or deny that, that he was continuing to get blowjobs at courtside at Staples Center? Well, first of all, I told you I'm not a Lakers fan, so I've never really spent, I, I think I might've gone to one Lakers game and sat courtside. And at that, that, at that game, I did not actually witness uh, anything happening with uh, Nicholson in that way. I can only speak to Nick's games and Nick's courtside activities, which is, that's not happening in New York. Oh, I thought you said you did. You have not gotten a blowjob courtside at a Nick game. Did I say that? I thought I thought that's where you ended up. I said the masks have changed that. What I'm taking away is that you used to get them, then the, this pandemic happened, and now that's ruined the courtside blowjob for you. You're inferring that. I, I never actually, uh, actually stipulated that. See, whenever I talk to a famous person like yourself, and I can't see below their waist, I just assume there's a blowjob in progress. Like we're on a Zoom right now. I assume that's what's happening right now. That's your idea of fame is a constant blowjob. Yeah. When someone like Charles Barkley mentioned Zoom fatigue, I, I'm like, buddy, Call that what it is. That's a refractory period. That means your dick just needs a little bit of a break. That's all. That's like somewhere I don't want to go. I don't think I want to talk about it. Because I feel like that, that image to me, I just don't feel like that's true. I don't think that's real life. But it's interesting how for you, that what that tells me about you is a, just your outlook on life. It probably does say more about me than, than all you celebrities. Well, then enlighten us for us common folk. Can you walk us through what it is actually like? To be a celebrity uh, sitting courtside at uh, Madison Square Garden, because they want, obviously they want celebrities like you to be seen there. It makes the event seem more special for people right. who are attending. They, right. they, I can tell you they don't want me courtside, Ben. Mainly because one time I got drunk and I threw one of those free giveaway magnetic calendars uh, right at Zaza Pachulia. But also because I'm just, I'm not famous enough. What is it like? It's an interesting thing you bring up because I think like, you know, first of all, there's that, what you're identified with if you're sitting courtside as a Knicks fan. I've always, like I said, I grew up going to the Knicks. My dad used to take me to the Knicks. There were two season ticket holder fans my dad knew that would have us uh, give us the seats to sit with them. They were in the eighth row behind the Knicks basket. So that's where I grew up going, sitting there, which was an amazing place to see the games. And then this sort of, you know, being invited to sit courtside, it's a little bit of a, you know, it's a little bit of a balancing act because, you know, you want to be a friend of the team. Sometimes the team can be really frustrating, but you, you don't necessarily vent all of your frustration publicly if you want to also be sitting courtside. They actually actively try to keep me out of sight. They're not neutral about it. This has happened to me at the arena at MSG. One of the ushers, somebody who seemed like they knew what they were doing, said, courtside this way, sir. Mr. Brockmark, courtside this way. And then I went through a door and I ended up uh, locked in a broom closet with Scott Bale for like two hours. So Scott had somehow bribed someone to get you in that closet with him. I don't know. All I know is whatever. They didn't consider him very special either. I guess they stuck him back there, too. Huh? I don't yeah. think of Scott Bale as going to Knicks games. <laughs> well, he certainly didn't that night. He was in the closet. Was, I, well, no, seriously, I'm not being silly. But was there a point at which, was there some point in your career where you knew you were famous enough for the celebrity courtside treatment? Did that moment like happen with a moment in your life? No, I mean, I was, cause I was always, you know, going with my dad and my dad was a, a Knicks fan. It was definitely a coattail situation. So I feel like that was sort of, I kind of got uh, grandfathered or fathered in, I guess. Well, could you get me in? I mean, I promise I won't embarrass you. And I could actually really use a magnetic calendar right now. I think the issue is when you do get invited to come sit courtside, they want to know who you're bringing with you. 
So that would be an issue if they had at some point had like they would have to vet. Oh, okay, it's you know it's Brock Myers, you know, and and you know you're a sports announcer too, so I would imagine. You might have some previous uh, relationships. Well, it's because of the previous relationships that they divert me into broom closets. That's why I'm seeking your help here. But when they show celebrities in attendance on that jumbotron and everybody claps, do you enjoy that? Or you just get stressed out and competitive like, oh, please, God, let me get more applause than the Olsen twins just got. It's my least favorite thing in the world. And I will I will go to any end of the earth to be avoid being put on the jumbo trunk for that very reason. Did it was that harder after you were booed in Radfield and Yankee Stadium? Was that PTSD now? I think that was part of it. And it was the uh, the, the memory of that. And also the fact that, you know, if you're in a Nick game and you're sitting next to, say, uh, Joe Torre and Joe Torre is on the on the jumbotron. He's going to get a huge standing ovation. It's any, you know, New York sports institution or really anybody except myself. I feel I, I it just when it comes around to, to me, it's always I, I, I don't want to deal with it. I take it very, very hard, very personally. So I do anything I can to avoid it. No, I, I feel yeah. they should be more considerate. It would be easier for you, like if they if they promise to build it like an Oscars in memoriam kind of thing, like. Like they make your claps sound louder by comparison, by sandwiching you not next to Joe Torre, but like between a cinematographer and an accused pedophile, like they have so much. Well, of that would definitely affect the level, the level of the cheer. It's just hard to set that up when you go to a game. It's hard to set that up and say, can I please be next to a, a pedophile and a cinematographer? Well, yeah, I mean, cinematographer is probably sometimes it's the same thing. That's a joke I once heard. A pedophile, a cinematographer and Ben Stiller walked into a bar and uh, and who got cheered? Who got the biggest cheer? <laughs> ben Stiller got the biggest cheer. No, I feel like I kind of like my experience has been with the cheers like, oh, it's hey, hey, it's him. Hey, <laughs> it's not like ah! So, and it's not like boo, but it's sort of like, oh, ah. Yeah, I'm mildly sort of don't care about I'm it. I'm mildly, oh, I'm okay, sort of. Yeah, it's, it's fun. <laughs> it's not Jay-Z and Beyonce. Exactly. Right. It's not exciting me. You know, always bringing it back to that young person rap reference thing. <laughs> but you see, New York has got to be very tough to get that kind of applause. People are pretty disillusioned with seeing celebrities there. I mean, because they're everywhere out there. See, what you, should, you should go to a Pacers game. Just to boost your confidence, man. Put you on the jumbo trying everybody will go nuts. I did. I have to say that did happen. I went to a Montreal Canadiens game. Yeah. How did they receive you there? I got a really nice cheer. And I, it's like my second hockey. I never even been to a hockey game. It was my second hockey game. And it was a really nice cheer. And then in New York, I find if you're not Tracy Morgan, forget it. Because Tracy Morgan gets the biggest cheer every time. Because he's Tracy Morgan. Everybody loves him. But then the downside is if, you know, like they went crazy for you in Montreal. And then the downside is then they just asked you to sing the Hanukkah song. And you got to explain you're not Adam Sandler. <laughs> that happens way too often. But see, if I was Adam Sandler, then I'd get the huge cheer also. I actually would take that. Anytime I get mistaken for Sandler, I'm, I'm happy. Another nerd you, you probably want to beat up. Well, he's kind of like taking it to another level, right? I mean, come on. Adam has? He's come full circle to cool yes now he's like his outfits and everything he's like very very popular on instagram is he yeah he's like he's in the streetwear like he wears basketball shorts and puffer jackets that's just embarrassing that's called a midlife crisis i mean but i mean instagram loves it right but that's what he's been dressing like his whole life like he just always did, did that no, whenever he, you go on the tonight show or whatever he just wear whatever he wore yeah he waited it out he got to 2021 and it's you know he's in now i'll always take being mistaken for proud Right. Well, Adam, <laughs> you know, you mentioned sitting courtside at the Knicks and having to maintain a certain level of decorum because you don't want to be a fan and get angry at the team, you know, publicly like that. But another little touchy subject as a Knicks fan, you got to, boy, you got to just hate James Dolan. Am I right? I mean, the way the team's been run, the way the security treated people like Charles Oakley and Patrick Ewing is such a disgrace. And they're all, all you celebrities, they all are taking the guy's hospitality and his free buffet. You ever feel like, oh, I don't know, like a sellout hypocritical douchebag? <laughs> yes. Short answer in a word, yes. I was really upset at the, the Oakley thing. I was really upset. That being said, I also uh, enjoy going to Knicks games. And um, I look at the team 
as being beyond any, like, like I don't define it by the ownership and they've always been uh, very uh, hospitable, but I did not like what happened to Charles Oakley at all. But I, I enjoy being able to go and like meet Nick legends like Bill Bradley or Willis Reed or, you know what I'm saying? Like, and so if that makes me a, a hypocritical douchebag, I will accept that. It definitely does. Look, I understand that, look, we all make moral compromises for our own team. It's that's what humans have always done. It's what led to World War II. I'm not calling you a, a Nazi sympathizer necessarily. I'm just saying Joseph Mengele would be equally embarrassed if he were on a jumbotron. You're calling me like a, a fishy Knicks fan or something? I, yeah, well, my, Joseph Mengele, by the way, another nerd who made it big and accepted the hospitality of a brutal, brutal dictator. So you got that in common with My mother was in The Boys from Brazil, the film about the Joseph Mengele, who was, or the character who was doing experiments on little... Your mother who, uh, you know, one of the people who was responsible for your career, which we're going to get to and, and be pretty annoying about that, too. Uh, she was in The Boys from Brazil? Great mm. book, too. Was that... Uh, who wrote that one? Was that... Uh... Mm. I don't know who wrote the book. It was... I know Steve Gutenberg was in the movie. Young Steve Gutenberg. He showed up in The Oddest Places. He's one of them Jews, too. <laughs> He definitely was doing sort of like the, the nerd guy. He was kind of an uber nerd, but he was cool too because he was kind of ripped. Yeah, he was kind of studly. Yeah, he was like a ribbed nerd. One of them athletic Jews. Wasn't Paul Newman half Jewish? <laughs> Uh, yeah. Well, here now we can just get into the Hanukkah song and we can go through it if you want. <laughs> One final question, though, sticking with the Nazi theme. What is worse, Adolf Hitler's crimes or James Dolan's blues band? Which one is worse? <laughs> uh, I have to go with uh, Hitler. Probably, right? I mean, yeah. Now, you mentioned your mother. Your parents were quite famous, very talented, wonderful comedy team. And as a result... Some folks, I'm not saying me, but some folks could see your success as extremely unfair, sort of the height of unfairness. Mm -hmm. Because let's face it, there are other actors, very brilliant actors, like, I don't know, off the top of my head, I don't know, like Kankas area, for example, people like that, people much more talented. Much more handsome, just better in general overall as people. Now, Hank Azaria is a lot shorter in person than people realize. Is that right? I'm speaking about him, the third person, and myself in the third person. The only difference between you and uh, and the aforementioned Hank Azaria and many others is they did not have a mommy and a daddy paving the way for them. You ever feel guilty about that, having your career just handed to you? I never really looked at it as if it was handed to me. I do think that I definitely had advantages starting out for sure and you know and then show business sort of like takes you where it will but uh yeah i definitely was lucky yeah you were man i mean if hank azaria were here right now for example what would you say to him uh i'd say stop making everybody think you're so tall because you're not that guy does look like he thinks everybody thinks he's tall he has that that thing like hey i'm tall but you know when you see him in person not that tall like the kind of the, the voice stuff, you know, the funny voice stuff. I think like that's putting him in a box where it's like, hey, it's one thing if you want to do, you know, cartoons and podcasts and stuff. But like, I think for someone to really take Hank seriously, I think he has to walk away from that kind of niche kind of stuff. Yeah, we, we touched on that earlier. That stuff's yeah. really annoying and it wears out its welcome. I think people just think, oh, Hank's the guy that, you know, does the funny character. But I think Hank, Hank has a talent. Hank has a talent. I think he's just sort of like trying to figure out, like when you have that many different characters, quote unquote, it's then it's hard to find yourself sometimes. I never liked him. Really? Yeah. You enjoy him? Nope. I think he's got, a, you know, he's got a thing where, you know, he's, he's very, he's got a classic kind of, uh, comedic thing which is great he's very very um versatile i thought you were gonna say handsome no i was gonna say versatile oh well i kind of agree with you about the hank Azaria, all this kind of diminishing of him and uh interestingly enough though he as diminished as he is and he is with all these faults you pointed out he's 10 times better than the both he is combined <laughs> He can laugh at both of us all the way to the bank because he's there doing, you know, the cartoon he's been doing for 30, what's it, like 40 years now? I think it's yeah. four, literally 40 years. I believe they're in season 33. I don't keep track right. of all this. Episode nine of season 33, right. I believe. Mm -hmm. I think that's right. He's laughing at us from his, you know, mansion in Hawaii. His feelings are hurt.
dirt on top of his pile of money that he rolls around in. Yeah. Well, at least he doesn't only have to do it two hours a week. Oh, no, wait. Uh, yes, he does. And you've been a very, very, very good sport and very kind and patient. Uh, so we're going to get you out of here. I'd like this to go on a lot longer. Every single one of our uh, of our guests pretty much sounds the same at this point of the show. Where they very sarcastically point out that they've been way too long and they're dying to get back to the families. We're going to get you out of here. Wait, wait. I thought we were going to do some real questions because I really wanted to get into like, you know. We did many real questions. And maybe that's your skill as an interviewer. I feel like I haven't even been interviewed. We did all the but, questions I care to ask. Well, oh, here's a good one. Uh, what what was it like preparing for whatever stupid ass role you did five films ago? Oh, how interesting. Okay, let's get to the game. This game is called Weird Celebrity Encounter Showdown. Now, you and me are going to go head to head on this, Ben. You're going to tell us about one of your most ridiculous celebrity encounters. Yeah. And I'll tell one of mine. And Sheena is going to decide which one's better. OK, I have a few of these because over the years I've had just weird run ins. I mean, they're not all great stories, but there are things that happen that I could, you know, like moments that happen. All right, well, we're off to a great start. Well, you want to share one with us? Sure. Am I going to be able to give you multiple ones? If you see me on the Zoom still awake, keep going. Okay. Okay. I w waited for a car at the valet at a party uh, next to Michael Jordan. Wow. Go yeah. on. That was basically it. He looked over at me and he said, hey, Benny boy, how's it going? Hey, Benny boy, how's it going? <laughs> That's a quote. That's a quote. And I, I'd never met him before. And I didn't know how to take that other than, well, that's Michael Jordan. You just take it. Benny boy, boy, I, I have a feeling uh, you're going to be hearing that a lot from now on. Hey, Benny boy, how's it going? Uh, what else? I, I enjoyed that one. You got another one? I drove... Alan Thick around for a day as his intern. Holy shit. And almost got him killed. Really? How did that happen? Uh, I was driving his car, a convertible. I think it might have been like a, mm, might have been a Porsche. It was his Porsche. And I was making a left-hand turn onto Outpost Boulevard uh, in LA off of Mulholland Drive. And I did, I turned in front of a car that was coming at us from Mulholland and it almost killed him. And when I was doing that same job, Rick Dukeman, the comedian, borrowed 20 bucks from me. Uh, he was, uh, I think he was on the show. Did he ever pay it back? Nope. Wow. And I also walked Charlton Heston to his car when he was on the Alan Thick show. What's all this celebrity escorting you were doing? <laughs> I was an intern. I was a t in the talent department of the Thick of the Night, the television show, the late night talk show he had. So this is like the Hollywood Silver Spoon version of a summer job. You get to be like Alan Thick's <laughs> and Charlton Heston's uh, <laughs> walking stick. That is quite amazing. Anything else? Uh, I was on a plane on Southwest Airlines. I was flying from Phoenix to Los Angeles, and uh, I dropped my pencil. I was, like, writing something. I had a pen, and it rolled the seat in front of me, and a hand picked up the pencil from the seat in front of me, turned around, and said, I think you dropped your pencil. It was Walter Cronkite. <laughs> Did he follow it with film at 11? I think you dropped your pencil. <laughs> What do you think he's more proud of? Uh, you know, when he announced Kennedy's death and moved a nation to tears or handing you your pencil back. I'm sure he remembered that, too. You're going to be hearing both of those. Hey, Benny Boy, how you doing? I like combining it into one story. I think my story is going to crush. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I don't want to count my chickens, but here's mine. All right. My weirdest celebrity, uh, one of them anyway, involves Ken Burns, the documentarian, the documentary filmmaker. So I got edited out. I got cut out of, of Ken's original baseball documentary. So in 2010, when I got word he was making a sequel, I really wanted to be in it. So I went down where I heard they were interviewing Bob Costas, who's a buddy of mine. And I found Ken Burns, which was not easy to do, Ben, because he makes everybody who works on his documentaries get the exact same bowl haircut style that he has. So it's like finding it's like, where's Waldo? Tough to find him. But I finally found him. I cornered him. I said, Ken. Please, you got to let me talk about the steroid era, the steroid scandal. I have a, a wonderful story about seeing Jose Canseco stick 15 needles in his ass and then walk around the locker room calling himself Mr. Porcupine. Right. And Ken's like, all right, let's have a drink and we'll talk about it. So he lets me uh, he tells me to wait in his private office. And Ben, it was filled with all this unbelievable baseball memorabilia in there. And long story short, he left me in there a bit too long, let Jim Brockmeyer loose in the hen house a little too long. And by the time he got back, I'd already cracked open. What I later found out was a prohibition era whiskey barrel 
And uh, I drank myself so stupid that I was wearing Babe Ruth's baseball hat and drawing dicks on a notepad with Robert E. Lee's pen from Appomattox Courthouse. And uh, so needless to say, I did not end up in that documentary. And Ken Burns tried to shoot me with Al Capone's gun. Chased me down the hall with Al Capone's gun. I lost track back at Jose Canseco. It was like watching a Ken Burns documentary. <laughs> that really was. It's <laughs> <laughs> So Sheena, who, I mean, obviously I won that. So Ben dropped the Michael Jordan story. So he is the winner, of course. You. Brockmeyer, I'm not sure if that's a real story. That sounds like a fever dream that you had. What do you mean fever dream? That happened. Now, I, most of your drug hallucination fever dream stories involve Al Capone's gun. Boy, that is true. By the way, did you watch Al Capone's vault? The Geraldo Rivera debacle? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Did you enjoy that? Oh, I loved it. I didn't realize at the time how much I was relishing Geraldo being humiliated like that. <laughs> in retrospect, it's it was one of the sweetest moments of my life. It really, it's a classic to return to. It is a classic. He really did pave the way for Sean Spicer and well, Ben, you've been, uh, I guess, a very good sport and uh, you're a wonderful man and uh, a wonderful actor. And I very much appreciate you being here. I also saw Carl Weathers crossing sunset once. I don't know if that counts for anything. You already won, Ben. You don't have to rub it in. Thank you. Uh, it's been a real experience being on the show with you. Um, I think you're uh, a person that is doing a podcast and I give you credit for that. That's wow, very heartfelt, heartwarming. <laughs> and uh, I know it all, you know, I think it's all in fun on the show, but uh, honestly, um, you did say some mildly offensive things that I just want to sort of dissociate myself from. That's smart. That's, I do that. You, yeah, too. Just like any of the Hitler references. Publicly, yeah. Any of that stuff. Just, yeah. you know, you said... The way you said Jew a couple times sort of was weird. I'm sorry, man. Have you been speaking the last 30 seconds? Because all I've heard is like a wah, wah, wah coming from your microphone. I'm just, just you know, calling out what I sometimes, you know, think of stuff that maybe for you is just sort of baseline. That's who you are for, uh, for it's calling that out a little bit. I think you're a great broadcaster. I think you're a great broadcaster, by the way. Your style, mm -hmm. calling games, all that stuff is great. Um, as an interviewer, it's interesting what comes out, you know, what your sort of take on things is. It might say more about me than it does about you, my interview style. Yeah. Okay, anyway, I just wanted to say that. I did enjoy being on the show. Gun your head. Who, who's worse, uh, me or, or Hank Azaria? I was going to say this Hank Azaria thing you got going on. There's like this sort of weird obsession. Somebody has to pay attention to that. Hank Azaria's career. I mean, one thing you could say about Hank Azaria, though, he did avoid the nerd stereotype in his in his roles. He's one of them athletic Jews. Because he works out, so yeah, because he's so young. Definitely, yeah. Did you see him in Along Came Polly? Incredibly ripped. That's one of my favorite uh, Adam Sandler movies. Hmm. Okay. All right, that's all for today, folks. We'll be back in two weeks for another episode of the Jim Brackmeyer podcast. And please, for the love of God, I can't stress this enough. Do the things you... What are, what are the things? By the things, you mean follow, rate, and review? Yep, I'm just... I'm never going to remember. I, I defiantly will not remember. Going to have to accept it, Sheena. Big thanks as always. I remember this. Mike Ryan, he's a wonderful man. Metalog Media, great group. Funny or die, where it all began. And thank you for listening. We'll see See you next time.